morning, everybody. I think we are ready to start. Um, first, to introduce myself, I know many of the people in this room, but I'm Professor Christine Chinkin, who's Professor of International Law here at the LSE, and it's my very great honour to be welcoming President Song to the LSE today, as well as all of you. Uh, as you know, this is a public lecture which is hosted by the Law Department here at the LSE and is looking particularly at issues of the International Criminal Court. Uh, again, as many of you in the room will certainly know, the International Criminal Court was of course created by the Rome Statute back in 1998. It um, came into existence in 2002 and now, what, some eight years later, is really beginning now on its active work with three trials underway and therefore the real work of beginning to develop international criminal law, both procedure and substantive law, building both on the work of the ad hoc criminal tribunals and of course on the Rome Statute and the uh, rules of evidence and procedure, the element of crime is now really getting underway. The court again, as I expect most of you know, has had both very strong critics and some very um, ardent supporters. And I think it's both critics and supporters who are really watching the court now in this next important phase of its development. And so we are really very honoured to have to talk to us about this development of international criminal justice, President Song of the International Criminal Court. President Song was appointed president of the ICC in March 2009. He um, is assigned to the Appeals Division of the International Criminal Court. Uh, he has enormous practical, academic and um, legal experience through a whole range of institutions. Um, professor of Law for many years at Seoul University. Uh, also um, experience as a judge advocate in the Korean Army. He's worked as a foreign attorney in a New York law firm so is extremely well qualified to take on this very important role of guiding the court through its next stages. So we are more than honoured to have you here today, welcome you very much to the London School of Economics and look forward to your lecture on the future development of international criminal justice and interdisciplinary approach. President Song will talk for 20-25 minutes or so and then has also agreed that he will take questions from the audience. So again, we're grateful to you for that. So I hand over to you, President Song. Um, thank you, uh, Professor Chinkin, for uh, that very kind introduction. It is a great pleasure to be with you at London School of Economics and Political Science today. As a long-time law professor myself, I always feel at home in any law school. And your law department has certainly made me feel uh, welcome. I hope, however, uh, that there are students from other disciplines also in attendance. Um, I have come to talk about the uh, International Criminal Court, which is, of course, a, a legal topic. But uh, I would like to focus on the ICC's uh, future 
and that of the entire system of international criminal justice. And the future development of this larger system of international criminal justice, of which the ICC uh, is a key part, will require efforts that uh, extend well outside the legal realm. But before uh, looking toward uh, this future, let us briefly review the past. The history of modern international relations uh, extends uh, over some 400 years. For most of this time, the, uh, the international law concerned itself primarily with uh, regulating the behavior and interaction of states. This was uh, the predominant uh, reality even with the end of the Second World War. The Charter of the United Nations and the Statute of International Court of Justice, <coughs> principal pillars on which the post-war order was constructed, reflect this focus uh, on interstate relations. At the same time, the ravages of the Second World War lent momentum to making individuals to subject and object of international law. Individuals hold rights under international law as recognized in the Universal Declaration on Human Rights and subsequent uh, conventions. They also possess duties for which they can and should be held accountable. In its judgment, the Nuremberg Tribunal famously uh, stated, I quote, crimes against international law are committed by men, not by abstract entities, and only by punishing individuals who commit uh, such crimes can the provisions of international law be uh, enforced. The end of the quote. This uh, prescient observation was the premise for the initial development of international criminal law. Then, almost immediately after this statement was uttered, the Cold War froze for decades the expectation of accountability for war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide. In the midst of uh, numerous proxy wars uh, across Asia, Africa, and Latin America, justice for these international crimes could cause a setbacks uh, for one block or the other. And so there was justice for none. Mass atrocities in such places as uh, Uganda and uh, Cambodia 
went unpunished. In December last year, I was uh, in Bangladesh and visited a small Liberation War Museum commemorating the uh, death of an estimated one and a half up to three million uh, Bangladeshis, mostly civilians, in 1971. At the time, these victims too were uh, completely ignored. During the, war, uh, the Cold War, uh, leaders did not expect to be held uh, individually accountable. Peacemakers knew not to try, and all too often the atrocities continued. The Cold War eventually did end. Human capacity for barbarity did not. Now, however, the international community could agree on justice for some victims and some perpetrators. These were, um, there were new trials for atrocities committed in such places as Rwanda, Bosnia, and Sierra Leone. This new factor complicated peace processes. It led some uh, to suggest, suggest that peace and just were at odd. Yet, with the ad hoc tribunals for the former Yugoslavia, Rwanda, Sierra Leone, the beginning of operations at the uh, ICC in uh, 2002, and the, uh, the launch of subsequent institutions, we have seen quite the opposite. Presidents and rebel leaders uh, have begun to consider the specter of legal accountability. For some victims, perhaps, seeing justice done uh, has obviated an urge for violent uh, retribution. Accountability for atrocity crimes has become a reality for a broader range of situations. More victims now have reason to hope that their tormentors will answer for their crimes. More communities can see that fair trial rights of the accused are vigorously defended. Although difficult to prove, according to some observers, including uh, top UN officials, fear of prosecution may have led uh, some would-be perpetrators to refrain from the uh, commission of atrocities in the first place. If true, this already would be a great achievement. But creation of a court of last resort cannot be the final word in the development of international criminal justice. The system of international criminal justice must continue its progress. From the perspective of the ICC, it is difficult to plan this development. The prosecutor can devise uh, strategies for determining 
where and how to investigate and prosecute. The presidency and the registrar have been working in consultation with the prosecutor toward the ambitious goal of making the ICC a model of public administration. My presidency has committed to increasing public understanding of the ICC, making several trips to meet with key partners in Africa and elsewhere over the past year. However, in our core activities, we are a judicial institution. We cannot take actions uh, or decisions that will infringe on future uh, judicial decisions. The ICC cannot overreach its mandate. The conduct of fair trials must remain the cornerstone of our work. The challenge of realizing the vision of a world of accountability and peace is even more difficult if one steps back from the ICC to look at the broader system of international justice. This system comprises numerous actors with widely diverging, sometimes conflicting mandates. Even acting at the best of its ability, the ICC is only one small piece of bigger puzzle. Some acts of war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide fall outside the jurisdiction of the ICC. At the center of the Rome Statute is the principle of complementarity. This means that uh, states retain the primary responsibility to carry out genuine investigations and prosecutions of atrocity crimes. Only if they fail to do so can the ICC uh, step in. But even then, there are other <coughs> restrictions. The ICC only has jurisdiction over uh, crimes committed after the Rome Statute came into effect in July 2002. Apart from situations referred to, uh, to us by the UN Security Council, its jurisdiction is limited to crimes committed on the territory of the state parties or by the citizen of uh, state parties. And in any case, the ICC will only ever have the resources to focus on the most serious cases within its jurisdiction. All of these limits on the ICC's reach mean that it will take all parts of the broader system working together within their respective mandates to achieve maximum impact. Specifically, I see uh, three main areas for common action. First, the reach of the uh, Rome statute system can broaden 
through the addition of new state parties. This will not only extend the geographical reach of the statute, but further enhance uh, perceptions of its legitimacy. Each country will make a sovereign decision on whether to join the Rome Statute. It is important that this decision is taken not on the basis of myths and misperceptions, but of facts. We must continue to fight ignorance about the statute, which unchecked can corrode support for it. The ICC is actively engaging with the Rome Statute, uh, considering uh, the uh, engaging with the states, considering ratification of the Rome Statute. To this end, over the past year, I have traveled to uh, Thailand, Indonesia, Nepal, Bangladesh, and Laos. But states and international organizations uh, can bring uh, greater resources to bear. Second, the Rome Statute can strengthen through enhanced cooperation. Cooperation should come to be regarded as routine, not an exercise of extraordinary political will. This applies to states' parties and also states' not yet parties. The ICC does not have tools to uh, enforce its own decisions. It's up to the states who created uh, the court and its other supporters to ensure that uh, they are enforced. Third, the Rome Statute system can deepen by enhancing the capacity of national jurisdictions. As the ad hoc tribunals wind down, there will be increasing expectations for the court to act around the world. Existing expectations following uh, decades of impunity are already daunting. The ICC is a court of last resort. It will only ever be able to handle a relatively small number of cases at a time. We must continue to work to ensure a realistic view of what the ICC can do, but more importantly, we must ensure that national courts are willing and able to act. Earlier I mentioned the principle of complementarity. States have the primary responsibility to investigate and prosecute uh, crimes, not the ICC. The ICC has a very limited ability to assist um, states that lack it in developing um, national capacity. Our mandate is to investigate, prosecute, and carry out trials of uh, individuals. 
even the ICC's ability to uh, cooperate with and provide the assistance to uh, states parties conducting investigations or trials is limited. The bulk of the work of the developing national capacities will therefore fall to states, NGOs, and international organizations. It is in this area of uh, realizing complementarity where practitioners from several disciplines will be called on to make uh, contributions. In developing a more comprehensive international system of criminal justice, experts from fields including international affairs, political science, and economics will be needed, as well as many uh, good lawyers. To illustrate the needs, I would like to briefly tell you about the trip uh, I took in December to the uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo. The ICC is currently uh, hearing the cases of three prominent commanders in that country's uh, tragic conflict. But the number of alleged perpetrators is vast. More comprehensive justice means that Domestic trials should complement those being held in The Hague. Among my meetings in the conflict zone of Eastern Congo, I met with the local military prosecutor. Under current Congolese law, military prosecutors have jurisdiction over war crimes crimes against humanity and genocide. To my great surprise, the military court in, in the town of Bunia is directly applying the Rome Statute. Already, four cases have been completed. And this military prosecutor frankly admitted that he and his team lacked the expertise to ensure proper trials. They lacked uh, basic texts on international criminal law and the jurisprudence of the ICC. The prison system is a shambles. There are concerns about the political interference in the judiciary. And all of these problems are compounded by the uh, fragile security situation in a region that has long suffered from a conflict involving many states and factions. Following up on this meeting, the ICC will be sending some French language legal text to the local military uh, prosecutor's office. As you can well imagine, given the scale of the challenge, this represents a very, very modest contribution indeed. But if many other actors also make con uh, contributions, together we can uh, gradually assist the Congo and other countries 
to develop the will and capacity to conduct uh, fair domestic trials. With a large and interdisciplinary commitment, international criminal justice will continue to develop. It may move faster at some times and slower at others, but it must keep moving. The changes we see on a day-to-day -day basis may be gradual, but the underlying move from a purely state-based system of international law to a global culture in which individuals expect and can be expected to be held accountable for their actions is truly revolutionary. This is a revolution with roots in Nuremberg and Tokyo. It picked up momentum again in the 1990s and has consolidated more of its progress through uh, many trials held at the ICC and our sister tribunals. But we must continue to look forward. The ICC will always offer a last hope for justice in response to humanity's deepest depravity. We must work toward the day when there is a realistic chance of justice for every atrocity. Then the ICC will underpin a system that fulfills justice's promise to deter crime. Few will then doubt that justice sustains peace. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed, President Song. I think you have covered an enormous amount of material in a very short space of time, particularly with respect to the multiple functions of the ICC. Obviously, its judicial function, its public administration function, its educative function, and its interaction with national courts to build the vision that you talked of, of a global criminal justice. And President Song has agreed, as I said earlier, to answer some questions. We have about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, what I suggest we do is take questions in clusters of three or four or so. Can you please um, say who you are when you're asking a question? Keep your questions brief to allow as many people as possible to be able to participate. And please sort of ask questions rather than um, giving a mini exposition of your own. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, can we start? I'll take up. Oh, there's a roving mic. So, um, you know, we we'll wait for it to be brought to you. Up at the back, the gentleman there. Okay, there, and then the person in front of you afterwards. Hi, um, my name is Jennifer. I'm in the government department here, and my question relates to enforcement mechanisms of the decisions of the ICC. Um, I was wondering, in cases in which uh, there is a change in um, the government or their society becomes increasingly less cooperative, what mechanisms does the ICC have to enforce its decisions and ensure that justice is carried out? You can't, okay. Um, the President is having some difficulty in hearing. Essentially, it was a question about the enforcement mechanisms of the ICC, in particular, whether there's a change of government 
um, which you know during the course of what may be a long process and what may um, transpire with respect to enforcement in that situation. Is that a fair yeah. summary of it? Thank you. Um, President Song, thank you very much for your fascinating speech. Uh, my name is Teddy Nicholson. I'm a student in the International Relations Department. Uh, you spoke several times uh, that uh, peace and justice supported one another. Unless I'm mistaken, there is a provision in the Rome Statute where the UN Security Council can uh, put proceedings in the ICC on hold for a year at a time um, if they consider the proceedings to be a threat to international peace and security. Doesn't this somewhat contradict what you said and recognize the principle that in fact uh, proceedings towards international criminal justice in fact can harm uh, movements towards peace? You got, you got that one? Yeah. Okay. And we'll come down this side um, here at this point. Hi, thank you very much. Um, I'm Laura Brands, also a student in the International Relations Department. It's quite a simple question about your take on the principle of complementarity. How can we ensure that uh, these Congolese courts, in fact, properly use Rome Statute texts? Okay, again. Um, would you like to go on to those? And then we'll have another round afterwards. Yes. I do realize there's a lot of people who want to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, these questions are all uh, well, um, uh, well taken and uh, very important ones. Actually, uh, as everybody knows, the ICC has no uh, uh, police force of its own or, or army or anything. Um, so uh, as far as uh, enforcement of the uh, sentencing or arrest warrant or whatever, uh, um, these, uh, we have to rely on the states for cooperation in this respect. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, so uh, whenever I receive or, or visit um, you know, the relevant government leaders. Uh, this is a cooperation, uh, you know, uh, states' cooperation with the uh, ICC is always an issue uh, to be taken up uh, very ser seriously. So we, we've been uh, trying to conclude a certain agreement Agreements with the uh, with the states, uh, for instance, uh, relocation of witnesses agreement or enforcement of sentencing agreement, and even before uh, all these agreements, we just uh, urge the especially the states parties to uh, uh, adopt uh, the national implementing. Uh, legislations, uh, you know, without this, uh, all this uh, uh, enforcement-related activity, activities may not be legally uh, possible or effective. And then <clears throat> you see the the uh, indeed um, UN Security Council uh, can refer uh, any situation. Uh, to the ICC, uh, as as you uh, see in the case of the uh, uh, Sudan, 
You know, Sudan uh, is not a state party to the Rome Statute, yet uh, the Security Council uh, decided to refer the situation to us. Um, actually, in my view, uh, while uh, this kind of issue is discussed and, uh, uh, and decided at the Security Council, that's uh, perhaps a, a full political debate or, or political decision. Mm -hmm. But uh, once, once the situation is referred to the ICC, then the whole situation has entered the judicial stage. So uh, from that uh, point of time, we, uh, the ICC uh, judges, are uh, engaged only with uh, judicial activities. Uh, you see, when, when the uh, judges render a, a certain important judgment or decision, they would never take uh, into consideration any political uh, consequences or financial implications or things like that. Judges are jurists, so uh, they uh, establish the facts and uh, uh, review the presented evidence and then choose uh, applicable law and then apply uh, the law of their choice to this, uh, this fact. And then, uh, then they come up with their, their own judicial conclusion. So it's 100% a a judicial activities. Uh, when we rendered al-Bashir uh, uh, against warrant, uh, of course, uh, many uh, certain corners of the world uh, criticized the ICC. Uh, but uh, if, in my view, if any of our decisions happens to be a political hot potato, then, then it is primarily uh, responsibilities of the state's parties which had created the ICC to come forward and uh, you know, protect uh, the ICC, which is, since it's a 100% judicial institution, so come forward and protect uh, the, this judicial institution from unnecessary political uh, dispute and, and, and complexities. In this process, uh, if UN Security Council um, you know, find some reason uh, to defer uh, the situations they had referred to us uh, up to uh, one year or so for certain reasons. Well, it's, it's up to them to make, uh, to engage in political debate and uh, reach a political conclusion uh, like that. And in this process, uh, the ICC has, uh, you know, no position to take. Uh, it's up to it's up to Security Council. There is an Article 16 which uh, which allows the Security Council to to make uh, such a deferral if they uh, 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 if they think it necessary. So um, then that's. Uh, but uh, despite all this, uh, Security Council involved uh, political activities. Uh, we, the ICC, uh, should remain 100% judicial. Um, 
and then um, actually, uh, and then the, the, there was also a question about complementarity. This is complementarity is uh, very uh, important uh, fundamental principle on which the ICC is uh, has been created and ICC has to operate. Um, as I said, uh, we have to build a large, I, I just imagine a large uh, you know, uh, context of international criminal justice system and, uh, and then uh, the ICC is, uh, is, a, is perhaps the centerpiece of this larger uh, uh, international criminal justice system, yet it is just one of, uh, one of the actors uh, who will uh, build up the larger system, who will play the important role in, in this larger system. There, there could be uh, NGOs or national uh, judicial systems or international organizations, uh, what have you. These actors uh, should all just get together and pull their wisdoms and efforts and everything together toward a goal of uh, you know building larger international justice uh, system. Um, you see, the uh, this is complementarity principle is one uh, uh, important difference from the uh, ad hoc tribunals uh, for. Um, ICTY or ICTR, uh, those tribunals uh, take primacy over the national uh, jurisdictions. Uh, ISIS is not like that. Uh, it's based on the complementarity. So it, uh, it's a very important, uh, I mean, the capacity building of the national judicial system is a very important and uh, just necessary and appropriate uh, cooperation uh, between the ICC and the national uh, uh, jurisdictions as uh, very, very, very necessary. Um, actually, these and other the issues you just raised in the question will be. Uh, it, uh, dealt with in depth uh, at the upcoming uh, review uh, conference, uh, which will take place in uh, Kampala, uh, Uganda. Thank you. I think we've got time probably just for three more, and then I'm afraid we will have to finish. We'll take one here. Uh, this is going to be very, very difficult. Here, um, take behind there, and then um, another one over this side from there in the middle. So, here in the front. Thank you very much. My name is uh, Nils Hahn from Development Studies at SOAS. Um, it's often a critique of international law that says that international law is the rule of the stronger to dominate the weaker. What do you see as the indicators that the ICC is not becoming an instrument of the stronger to selectively uh, use the ICC as an instrument to remove people that they do not like in the weaker states? Yeah. I'll go up to behind, just the gentleman behind there. Uh, 
Uh, my name is Harold Emanuel. Uh, actually, my question um, is related to the uh, previous question in a way, uh, namely that it's uh, sometimes observed about the ICC uh, that it, uh, it tends to approach the uh, uh, so-called softer uh, cases, uh, such as the DRC, not that one would criticize for a moment its uh, activities in that regard, and um, has avoided uh, approaching uh, the so-called harder cases, uh, such as those that relate, for example, to the um, Israel-Palestine conflict, uh, which is um, a matter that uh, I believe is close to the heart, indeed, of Christine Chinking, for, Chinking rather, for obvious reasons. Uh, and I wonder what um, observations uh, the President has uh, in regard to um, how the ICC's role may fan out in relation to uh, matters relating to the um, Israel-Palestine conflict. And I said somebody over here, where was it? There. Yes, the, the woman, the, the lady in the middle. Thank you. My name is Sophie Stevens. I'm from the Development Studies Institute here at LSE. Um, my question is also kind of an addition to this theme. It's been observed that... <clears throat> The ICC has operated predominantly in weak and failing states, and I'm sure this has got a lot to do with complementarity because these states will have less capacity to deal with the cases themselves. But I wondered if you could comment on um, how you think this will affect the possibility for the ICC of prosecuting stronger states, even if their courts are not in line with international standards, um, and whether you think that's going to happen because so far it's not been possible. Thank you. There's three very yeah. related questions. Well, the, uh, in terms of uh, the triggering mechanisms uh, of the case, um, you can find in the Rome Statute, there are three different uh, kinds of triggering mechanisms. Um, the <clears throat> among the four situations we've been dealing with uh, so far. The first three, the, uh, that is to say the situa Uganda situation, uh, Democratic uh, Republic of the Congo situation, and uh, Central African situation. These three situations were brought to us by themselves. We never reached out or selected these countries. Uh, we never selected these countries as weak countries or easy to handle or, or something uh, along uh, any, any reason along that line. President Museveni, uh, President Kabila, and uh, these presidents uh, visited The Hague and uh, in front of the uh, prosecutor, he said, Mr. ICC, we cannot simply handle our domestic armed conflict please come and help us. That's how we uh, started all these uh, investigations and uh, prosecutions. We had no intention of targeting only Africa. We never reached out, out only Africans. Uh, we never uh, choose these countries because they are weak. Uh, that's what happened. And then the fourth situation happens to be again Africa, but uh, it was uh, a referral made by the Security Council. So I just uh, referred to uh, two mechanism, triggering mechanisms. One, a uh, referral by the, uh, uh, the state party, and uh, second one, a uh, referral by the Security Council. Now, the prosecutor is currently uh, sort of trying uh, to start the fifth situation 
for the first time by his own initiative. We call it appropriate motu uh, triggering. He uh, actually, in order uh, for a, a prosecutor to start a new investigation, appropriate uh, motu, he has to get a, a judicial authorization to start the investigation. So he submitted his request for authorization to the uh, pretrial chamber of the ICC. So his such uh, uh, action or move is uh, uh, subject to quite strong judicial scrutiny. Why, uh, why this, uh, uh, the, the, this provision was introduced? At the Rome conference days, actually some countries uh, raised some sort of fear. What if a prosecutor uh, just, uh, you know, uh, start investigations and prosecutions uh, out of political motivation? There is no uh, checking, uh, checking mechanism against that. Uh, so in, uh, in order to deal with this kind of worry or fear, this uh, prosecutor's uh, such initiative it was made to uh, uh, subject to the uh, judicial scrutiny. So I don't think, I cannot agree with, uh, with the very question uh, if it uh, talk about uh, uh, we we, we have chosen or, or, or dealt with uh, the weaker ones rather than strong ones. There is no such a thing. And then <clears throat> in connection with uh, uh, Gaza or, 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 or the uh, Palestinian uh, issue, uh, the, uh, the prosecutor made it public some time ago that uh, He's, he's uh, making some sort of preliminary analysis on certain other situations outside the African continent. Uh, for instance, Afghanistan, uh, for instance, Georgia, for instance, Colombia, for instance, Gaza. Um, well, he, he will sooner or later come up with uh, his own decision, one way or the other, decision about, uh, about these uh, situations. But um, in, especially in the case of Gaza, the Palestinian Authority visited uh, the court uh, more than once, actually, and uh, made a declaration to accept uh, the ICC's, uh, uh, you know, jurisdiction. The, as you know, the Rome Statute allows that uh, kind of uh, thing to happen. I mean, uh, we have another occasion like that. The, uh, the Côte d'Ivoire also uh, made a declaration to, to accept our jurisdiction uh, before, uh, before uh, the Palestinian Authority did. And uh, here, um, the, of course, there are many uh, complex uh, legal issues involved uh, in connection with the Gaza uh, situation. 
uh, one of which, for instance, one of which uh, would be whether the Palestinian Authority is a state. Does it enjoy a uh, statehood legally uh, uh, enough to be, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a party? I mean, uh, uh, this, this uh, issue will eventually, uh, uh, will eventually have to be decided uh, by, the, uh, by the judges. Perhaps if it would be appealed, then it would have to be decided by me. So uh, at this point, I have to, I would rather refrain from making any, <laughs> any prediction or any, uh, well, expressing my view on this. I do have some view, but uh, <laughs> I have to refrain from uh, doing so. So uh, I, I must admit, uh, there's a certain criticisms uh, uh, against the uh, ICC in certain parts of the world. Uh, when I went to Africa and southern parts of the African continent, um, there criticism seems to be um, why why only Africa you know why only Africa it was uh, you uh, ICC is, is um, front organization of Western European uh, economic interest uh, which badly needs oil eh? uh, <laughs> oil from Sudan for instance that's why you are you are doing all this kind of uh, you know uh, issuance of arrest warrant against the sitting president in Africa and so on, which is, uh, which is not true. I, the, as I said, we never uh, targeted or uh, chose only African countries at all. And uh, the, uh, the uh, we uh, this um, and then they also uh, said, uh, your justice uh, delivery is uh, very selective and uh, you're just uh, accused us of duplicity. It's, it's not all uh, true. This is, this is, I'm very uh, uh, proud to report to you uh, when uh, the, this uh, court has established itself uh, very solidly. It's now fully functioning judicial institution. When the, uh, the 18 judges arrived in The Hague uh, in March 2003, the inauguration uh, this the taken off, even the judges ourselves were not terribly sure whether this new baby called the ICC would be able to survive all the skepticisms and hostilities shown by the big powers and so on. Uh, we, some judges just, uh, you know, uh, publicly said this court might just collapse altogether in two, three years. <coughs> uh, but seven years later, we are well-established, fully functioning judicial institution I must uh, emphasize that uh, more than 50 decisions, especially rendered by my chamber, a peace chamber, have been very well received around the world, and um, I'm very proud of it. 
That seems a very good moment upon which I'm afraid we are going to have to finish. I would like to conclude by thanking President Song very much again for his willingness. <laughs>